in our corner. I wonder how it would change the way we view ourselves. If only we knew that we've got someone powerful in our corner. See, tonight I want to tell you a true story. We're going to do that in this series. Of, uh, of a guy named Elijah. Uh, the story comes from 1 Kings chapter 18. And it goes back to when Elijah was living in a time where Israel was, was being very unfaithful as far as God was concerned. And there were a whole number of reasons, a whole host of reasons that they were doing that. But I think a big reason is that they had forgotten that God was truly powerful. See, what was going on in Elijah's day is that the people of Israel, they were worshiping God, the God of the Bible, but, but they were worshiping other gods. So they were worshiping God, but, but then on the side they were worshiping these other gods. Specifically, there was a god by the name of Baal that they were worshiping. And Baal was very attractive to the Israelites for a couple of reasons. For starters, he was seen as a fertility god, and, and he was the god that, that the, the people around them would pray to and sacrifice to if they wanted it to rain so their crops could grow, or if they wanted their animals to be fruitful in breeding. And so for the Israelites, who were agricultural and shepherds, th- this, was, this was right up their alley. This is what they needed. They needed fertility of the soil and fertility of their animals, and And so Baal was very attractive to them. But but not only that, the actual rituals that the the people would go through to worship fertility gods, those were also alluring to the Israelites. And I won't go into detail about some of the things they did in order to worship those fertility gods, but maybe I'll just plant a seed in your mind and you can imagine what people might do, what, what human rituals people might go through in order to worship fertility gods. Maybe I've planted a seed in your imagination. So the people of Israel, they were worshiping Baal and the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself to the people by the name of Yahweh. And and this wasn't right. But no one seemed to care, except for this guy, Elijah. This man of God, this, this prophet, who was living in a, t- a time where, where he was a lonely voice. He was a, 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 a guy standing um, alone in a corrupt generation. A guy who must have felt really small sometimes. Who felt betrayed by his people. And who felt horribly outnumbered. And yet we're going to see from Elijah the power of knowing even when all of those things are true. When, when you are a lone voice, outnumbered, living in a corrupt generation... We're going to see how, what a difference it makes when you know that God is in your corner. So tonight I want to take you to 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah, this lonely voice, went before the people of Israel and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if, if Yahweh is God, that Lord in all caps, that stands in for the personal name of God. God gave a personal name that the people could call him by, and, and that was the name Yahweh, and uh, so that's what, what stands in behind those four capital letters. If, if Yahweh is God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. You know, I wonder how long Elijah had to work on that speech to confront the people about their behavior, knowing that in an instant they could turn on him and they could make his life even worse. And, and yet, and yet he, he felt compelled to go to them and, and to confront them about what they were doing because it was wrong, even though no one else cared to admit it. 
And so he makes his speech, and you can see the next words. It says, but the people said nothing. Elijah gives them this ultimatum, and he says, you know, it's time for you to choose one or the other. You can't do both. And the people don't even dignify his question with an answer. So Elijah reasons that it's going to have to get more drastic, and look what he does next. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of of Yahweh, of, of the true God's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets, so here's what we'll do. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it to pieces and put it on wood but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of of, of Yahweh, the God who answers by fire. That one is the true God. Then all the people said, all right, what you say is good. We'll abide. So, so the question wasn't enough to get a response. So Elijah arranges this showdown. We're going to see which God is better. Baal, the fertility God that all of the Canaanite people have turned to, and then all the Israelite people have turned to. This God of convenience. This God who is, is supposed to bring great payoff, make you wealthy. Or Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And Elijah has this experiment, which is just unthinkable for me. He says, all right, let's take two bulls. You pick the first one. You get the choice. You get the choice bull. You can choose the first one. You prepare it as a sacrifice. You lay it out on wood as if it's going to be offered as a burnt offering. Don't light it on fire. I will go over and do the same with the bull. I will make, put wood. I, I will get it all set up, but I will not light it on fire. And then we'll wait and see which God sends down fire to claim his sacrifice, and then we'll know, we'll finally know which God is the true God. I mean, this shows that Elijah's pretty squared away on who's in his corner, doesn't it? I mean, there's no doubt in his mind going into this which God is going to win the competition here. And I wonder, are any of us sitting in this room tonight, are are any of us really that confident about God? I mean, if we were living in Elijah's time, if we were in his shoes, could, could any of us do the same? Do we have that belief in God's power, but also in his advocacy for us? See, Elijah was bold. He put it out there. This was going to be undeniable. Either one God was going to be shown to be true, or they were both going to be shown to be false. Something was going to happen. This required something supernatural. And so this agreement sounds good to, uh, to the, all the people and to the prophets of Baal. They all agree. And so you've got Elijah, the lone prophet, the only one speaking for Yahweh in his generation. And then you've got 450 false prophets leading the people astray for Baal. He's grossly outnumbered. Everyone has turned against him. But here goes the experiment. We'll see what, who answers. Uh, verse 25, it says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Go ahead, you first. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. They, they, they slaughtered the bull. They, they put it on wood. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. 
And so they danced around the altar they had made. Yelling wasn't good enough. They began dancing. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. You know, perhaps he's in deep thought or or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so the people shouted louder. And, And now they began slashing themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. And midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. So it goes from crying out to dancing to offering blood offerings of their own blood, cutting themselves, to frantic prophesying all day, all night, and there is no response. Can you imagine the sight? I don't know about you, Uh, if I were Elijah, I would have taken delight in this, watching this spectacle, and surely he did. He's goading them, he's uh, he's making fun of their faith, and yet there would have been a growing nervousness in my own gut after all of that to say, what if God doesn't show up when it's my turn? I don't know if that's the case for Elijah or not, I think that would be the case for a lot of us. Here's what we do know, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. So so there was an altar that had been destroyed, and it just shows that that the people had totally neglected true worship of God. People had gone astray from true worship. They They had allowed the Lord's altar to fall into neglect, which means they were not worshiping. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. So, so the father of Israel, 12 stones to represent each of the tribes. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of Yahweh the Lord. And then he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. I have no idea how much that is. I think it's a lot. It's going to go on my gut here. And he arranged the wood. He cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood. He prepared the, the offering. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, at this point, he's just showboating. Do you see that? Uh, he's, He's getting all of this wet with 12 barrels full of water, so much so that there's now standing water all around the altar, the, the wood is soaked, the sacrifice is, is wet. This is just cocky, isn't it? I mean, he's crossing the line here. Is, this is bordering on putting the Lord your God to the test or something. I mean, he, he's crossed the line from being confident, knowing someone's in his corner, to just being obscenely arrogant, so it seems. And again, I, I don't know if I were standing in Elijah's shoes. I don't know if I would have that confidence I mean, just bringing fire from heaven would be enough, but, but bringing fire from heaven in order to ignite a sacrifice of soaking wet wood, some of these things seem beyond me. But something's going on in Elijah. He must know something that we don't know, because watch this as he finally makes the ask. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward, and this is what he did. He prayed. I love this. 
Uh, there's no crying. There's no dancing. There's no blood sacrifice. There's no prophesying and chanting and screaming. This lonely man, you know, a chorus of 450 compared to this one lonely man standing before God. And here's what he says. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob of Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all the things, all these things that you've told me to do at your command. So, so not only let people know who you are, God, but also vindicate me here, God, because everyone thinks I'm the fool, because I'm the only prophet left. I, I'm an endangered species here. I look like a fool. God, not only vindicate your name, let it be known that, that you are God in Israel, but also let them know that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Think about the contrast in this approach. 450 prophets on one side coming with force and noise and energy compared to this one lonely man standing before God with a simple prayer. A simple prayer prayed for powerful reasons so that they might turn their hearts back to you again. Now, if you were just going to go on presentation alone, aside from some of the showboating that Elijah did first with the water, I mean, the prophets of Baal would win. They would win the Oscar for this performance. I mean, their religious presentation is so much uh, greater. It's, it's so much superior to, to what Elijah has just done. It seems so understated and small. How could anything powerful happen after this? But just watch, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. God's fire comes down so strong that it not only takes a sacrifice, it takes everything. It evaporates all the water, even the stones. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell down on their faces and they cried, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. See, the people saw something powerful that day. They saw that this, this Baal God was in fact no God. But that Yahweh, the God who had rescued them from Egypt, the God who had brought them into the promised land, the God of their fathers, that, that He was real, He was alive and all of this happened because Elijah asked. He had the courage to ask. And he asked with right motives. And because of that, the people were astonished, and they were terrified, and they repented. See, we learn in Scripture, in, in the book of James, many years later, uh, written many years later after this, that so often in life, the reason we don't have is because we don't ask. And then James says, and then when you do ask, you still don't have because you ask with wrong motives. See, tonight I just think we need to acknowledge that I'm not sure that we are people who feel comfortable asking with boldness. Certainly not the boldness of Elijah. 
And, and maybe that's because we don't know what to ask for. I talked about that last week if you were here. You know, we, we don't know what to ask for. And what if I ask for the wrong thing? Or, or what if I actually get what I ask for and then it's on me if it doesn't turn out the way I expect? Or maybe it's because we don't have all the right motives. We, we might know the right thing to ask for, but we're not sure that our heart is right or our motives are right, and so we don't want to ask with, with, uh, with wrong motives. But, but I think maybe the reason we don't often ask with confidence is because we don't really know. We don't really know. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 don't, we don't really know who is in our corner. I wonder if the reason we don't ask with boldness like Elijah did, if, if this whole thing just seems crazy to us, and, and we know from Scripture that Elijah was just a man like you or me. He was, he was nothing special. And yet he was bold enough to ask, and so because he asked for the right things with the right heart, God granted it. And, and yet for us, I, I think we just don't know God's power sometimes. We, we don't really know it. Sure, we, we sing songs about God's power and how he made the whole world, but do we believe that, that God is truly powerful, that he can do anything? Not just in Bible days, but today? Do we believe that's true? Do we know that it's true? See, I think we also don't know that God is really for us. Some of us may believe that God is still powerful, but, but I'm, I'm not sure that we're convinced that he's really in our corner, that, that he's there for us, fighting for us. I think so often we imagine that our failures somehow diminish God's will to act on our behalf. And so a thousand times we fail as we sing, and we imagine that, that God eventually just gets tired and, and he quits on us and he stays away because of our sin. See, I wonder, do we really know that, that God is gracious and that he's powerful and that he's for us? I'm not sure we're people who feel comfortable asking with boldness because I'm not sure that we really know who's in our corner like Elijah did. But tonight, I just want to tell you that the God who sent fire on Elijah's sacrifice, taking the bull, the wood, the stones, the water, the soil, everything, he's not just the God of Elijah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. He's your God, too. And he is still that powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. Do you know that? And I also have to tell you that, that this God, he is for you. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. And because you belong to Jesus, that, that means he is, he is for you in spite of your sin, in spite of your doubts. In spite of your confusion and your lack of wisdom and not knowing what to ask for, do you know that he is for you? He is not against you. He is not fighting against you. He is on your side and, and he wants he wants your abundance and he wants your wholeness and he wants your freedom.
He wants you to know life that is truly life. Do, do you really know that? You've got a powerful, all-powerful God who is for you. See, if you do, that should enable you in your life to be able to ask God for some bold things and not be afraid of whether he chooses to answer you or how he chooses to answer you or... No. See, see if you really know that you have an all-powerful God who is for you, who is in your corner, then that should enable you to be able to go to God with boldness for whatever it is, whatever it is that burdens you, whatever injustice, whatever struggle, whatever hardship, and to know that he is fighting for you. So tonight, that's exactly what I want us to do. I just want us to take a moment. And uh, Melissa's going to play. And I want you just to have some time to ask with boldness, knowing that you have a God who is all-powerful and he is for you. So take a moment right now and ask boldly, whatever it is that's burdening you, ask it of your God.
what's interesting to me about this Elijah narrative is that right after these events, if, if you know the narrative, um, after this great victory demonstrates that Elijah was the true prophet and, and Yahweh is the true God, uh, Elijah has a bit of a breakdown moment and he runs off and he tells the Lord, you know, I, just, I just wish I were dead, I'm all alone here, I'm, I'm tired. And, uh, and, and God has to appear to him and minister to him and and it just reminds me that, that even after bold asking and even when God delivers in big ways, so often in life when we go through hardship, when we go through hard seasons, it can shake our confidence and we can start to believe when we're in the desert or when we're worn out that, that God has failed us or that he doesn't care or that he's not powerful and it's so easy for us to go there. And yet the truth is that God wants us to go on asking boldly for his help and even when we're in the desert he wants us to ask for his help because because in the desert he's accomplishing things in our lives that also matter tonight we're going to uh, just sing a song about that i invite you to stand up and lift up your voices with me in song